Welcome to AgTech 360, where we take a 360-degree view into emerging agriculture technologies of today and tomorrow. Our host, Adrian Percy, helps us to create robust dialogue among stakeholders in academia, industry, and extension, including researchers, growers, producers, and the overall agriculture sustainability community. AgTech 360 is brought to you by North Carolina State University, CIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. So this is Adrian Percy for AgTech360, and I'm delighted to be with Patrice Celes, who is the CEO of a young company, an early stage company called Biotalis. I'm actually in the beautiful city of Ghent in central Belgium. And for those who don't know where this is or have never visited, if you have the opportunity, if you're in central or northwest Europe, it is an absolutely fabulous town with um, amazing architecture and even better beer, which the Belgians do very well. But also it is a very, very well-known and very well-established biotech hub. Um, we're actually at a place called the VIB, which is the stands for the Flanders Institute of Biotechnology. And many of the plant science biotech discoveries have actually been made here uh, in this area. So uh, from an agricultural standpoint, this is a very, very meaningful place uh, worldwide. But I'm here with Patrice, and thank you, Patrice, for spending some time and telling us a little bit about Biotalis. But first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background, and how did you get uh, to uh, to what you're doing today? Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for having me for this uh, uh, for this chat. It's quite quite interesting and exciting to be uh, to be here with you today. So I'm uh, I'm a chemist by training. I'm an engineer and. Uh, I, I was not prepared for the agriculture. I was prepared for the science, curious about understanding how things were working around me. I wandered a little bit in chemistry between the pharma and the, um, the hardcore chemical applications in uh, dyes and pigments, for example. And then I ended up in, uh, in, in Syngenta, thinking that my uh, lab coat would be the, uh, the vest I would, I, will, I would wear until the end of my, uh, my life. Yeah. But uh, I had an incredible opportunity to, uh, to join an investment group in Boston in 2009. And at that time, I realized the opportunities that lies in agriculture beyond just the chemistry. And through this experience, when I came back into Syngenta a little bit later, I realized that what I really wanted to do was to enable new technologies uh, to come into the ends of the growers and to better understand how to make these technologies work together. Since then, that's what I've been uh, I've been doing within uh, within Syngenta for a little while, joining Biotalis uh, last year in July as uh, as a CEO, complementing an incredible team that is here in uh, in Belgium, as you as you said, and trying to really focus on the development of an innovative technology and bring that to uh, to the market, bring that to be an an opportunity and a solutions for the uh, for the growers and for the food industry. So I mean, they say timing is everything, and. And clearly, you've come into this kind of plethora of ag tech startup activity, which is so exciting and so important for, for our industry, but also in terms of solving many of the challenges, you know, in front of us. And, and um, you know, a lot of this activity is censured in the, in the US. So it's really interesting for me to be with a company that's European based. So, you know, what are the, what are some of the, um, the, the challenges that you're seeing, particularly here in Europe, uh, in terms of uh, bringing new technology to the market, but also the types of technology perhaps that European farmers uh, and European regulators sometimes are, are looking for? 
So first, from a, from a technology perspective, I think, as you said, Ghent is a little bit of an outlier in Europe. It's a place where people have been always pushing to, to bring the technology from the, uh, the basic research into really something that, that is pushing that to be a product, to be a solution, be it in the pharma space or be it in the ag space. And you don't find many of these hubs in Europe. And one of the difference with the US is that you've got this mentality in the US to be able to bring your innovation as rapidly as possible towards the market, which is not exactly the same in, in Europe. So that's one point where, where Ghent is very much like what some of the hubs you would find in the US, like for example, North Carolina or California, mm -hmm. in terms of having this translation from the early stage into something that is a bit more uh, a bit more oriented toward commercial purpose. And, and maybe even going further than that, because a lot of the technology that has come out of Ghent would be labeled GM, you know, regulatory fashion. And so actually, there's been a, a pretty general rejection of GM technology in food here in Europe. And yet, here, Ghent has thrived on that. And, and so most of their inventions has actually been rolled out for growers in places like North and South America, in Australia, South Africa, but not actually here in Europe. Not here in Europe, definitely not. And that's coming back to the first uh, part of your question is that the regulation in Europe has been extremely tight. And some of the decisions that have been taken uh, decades ago in terms of how to deal with, uh, with GM, uh, from a research perspective, from a development perspective, it has been quite difficult to be able to develop the same level of research and development investment in Europe as it was done in the US. We have a number of examples like BSF, for example, leaving this place at the early stage and going in North Carolina to be able to fully exploit the, the technology that they were bringing to the market from a trade perspective, a GM trade perspective. Now, the, the biotech hub itself has demonstrated that biotech is not only geared today toward GM traits. It can influence many of the discoveries that are, that are happening. You look at the, uh, um, uh, the uh, genome editing, for example, is, is one area that is not GM. There is also a lot of research related to new mode of action that are linked to the, uh, to the biotech industry, but at the end of the day would not be a biotech product. And of course, what we are doing in terms of producing uh, proteins for, as active ingredients for food and, uh, and ag, this is the same. We leverage the biotech knowledge but our product is not a biotech uh, mm -hmm. per se, a biotech or a GM product. Excellent. So, so let's get on to Biotalis and what you're actually doing here. And um, again, I mean, I know that you have global ambitions as a company, and there are many markets in the world that are looking for biosolutions uh, to to help growers who are lacking tools, who are facing resistance issues, who are facing regulatory issues. But, but I'm sure as well, there, there's perhaps an even greater focus on these types of approaches here in Europe right now. Tell us a little bit about what you can about the technology you're developing and how it, you see a fit for it in the market. Very good. The reason why I joined this company after quite a number of years looking into different small companies around the world was the opportunity that the platform that this company has is bringing into the market. As you know, going after multiple indications, you can do that with chemistries. With a chemical platform, you could go herbicide, insecticide and fungicide. And you can do also multiple type of indication with GM. And there is nothing like that in the microbial space or in the biocontrol space. You go there fishing for a specific microbial, for a specific plant extract that is going to have an activity. The platform that Biotalis is bringing to life and to the market today is the opportunity to have a targeted approach to identify new proteins, potentially with new mode of action, 
and to bring them as active ingredients onto the market. So basically, we are comparing the proteins to the chemicals and to the microbials and looking at the efficacy of this protein in the field. The platform is very versatile. We've got a pipeline that is basically going into biofungicides, bioinsecticides, and biobactericides. And we demonstrate the value of this platform that can really compete with what people can do today within the, within the chemical space and, and really demonstrating this value across the indication, which is so valuable compared to the, uh, the existing approaches that are mm. on, the, on the market. So can we explore that a little bit? Absolutely. So, um, obviously, synthetic chemistry has been incredibly successful for decades and decades and has allowed farmers across the world in many different production systems protect their crops against diseases, against pests, against weeds. Clearly, today's environment, there is some pushback, um, both from the public and also from regulators on the use of at least certain synthetic chemistries. So I can imagine that there is this, you know, very much an interest in developing biologically inspired molecules that can have similar effects. But a couple of things. So we're talking about proteins. These are quite large structures. How are we able to produce, you know, these types of structures today um, that we couldn't do, say, 10, 20 years ago? And, and how can we compete with, you know, very effective small molecules that we have in the chemistry space? So that's my first question. And then the second one you may want to follow up on is typically biologicals. We've seen a lot of approaches to biologicals, biopesticides, biosolutions in the market. They've only taken a certain percentage of the market share. And I think there were some good reasons for that. I mean, some of them have not proved to be particularly consistent in the field, for instance. And I'm just curious about how your approach differs from other alternatives on the market and how you've overcome some of these, these hurdles. Heavy question, sir. Two of them. So let me start with the production first. This is one of the, uh, of the elements of this technology is the ability to produce proteins. Proteins today, I think it's a hype if, I, if, I'm, if I'm right in terms of both the uh, high content protein crops on one hand to be able to answer some of the new demand. So there is a lot of work from a synthetic biology, from a biotechnology, from a, from a chemistry to be able to produce protein at a higher rate, either through fermentation or through plants and uh, plant production systems. And when we are looking into that, we have at our reach a number of technologies and we are using them to be able to produce the proteins at the, the scale first and at the cost that are required for, uh, for having these, these products into the field. We are not just a crop protection company neither. So where we are, what we're looking at with these proteins is to, of course, help the growers with the crops at the time they are in the field, but also be able to support protecting these crops in the, in the food value chain a little bit later, closer to the consumers to be able to, to increase the efficacy of the entire food value chain. And that's, I would like to stop here just one second. Despite what you said about the chemicals, and I completely, being a chemist myself, I do recognize the value that the chemicals brought to develop our, our civilization over the last hundred years and to be able to feed the people on the planet. This is incredible what we've been able to do. However, today, the efficiency of the food value chain, despite all this chemical solution, is only around 70% because we lose 30% of the, of the crops that we produce before they can be eaten, before they are getting, getting to yeah, the... So food waste is a massive issue. It clearly. is a massive issue. Yeah. So what we are focusing on is provide new tools to basically increase the efficiency of the overall system from the starting point in the field and hoping that we can help as long as possible during the entire food value chain. 
So that's really one focus for us is to look into that and to improve this efficacy. Now, to compete with the, with the chemicals, we need to reach level of cost of goods sold that will be at the same level, but it's not, we are not trying to compare them one to one. We bring also a molecule, uh, as you said, a big protein that is going to have a different impact on the crops from a chemical residue perspective. And we are testing these, these elements is to say, well, in fact, we can decrease the amount of chemical residues that we have in the final produce as well, which is adding value to the growers in terms of the intrinsic value of the crop that they are going to be able to bring to the market. And it would also reduce the chemical load being put into the environment. Absolutely. And this is our approach is to fight, to identify the best mixtures, not to go against all the chemicals. We are not willing to replace just right away all the chemicals, especially not with the first product. But the idea is to say, how can we participate into helping the growers to get better value for their crops by reducing the load of chemical, reducing the the residues, and increasing the lasting freshness of this produce along the along the food value chain. What you're saying is there's benefits not just for the environment or for the consumer, but also for the grower as well, who would have access to tools which would be hopefully no more expensive, but just as effective and consistent, which is perhaps what you know, many growers are, are hoping for will come out of this whole revolution of biologics. This is exactly the point, is the consistency. You mentioned the challenge with the, uh, with the microbial uh, biocontrol. They are also participating, they are part of the solutions to be able to provide uh, tools, new tools for the growers. But so far, as you mentioned, there have been some inconsistency. And of course, as you try to protect a plant with the living organism itself, you have some difficulties to have the behavior of this living organism being the same in, uh, in in the big plains in the US and maybe in South Africa because of the weather, the condition of the soils, the plant, the genetics. There are so many factors that, that are coming into play when you are bringing two living organisms to basically help each other. In our case, we are as close as can be as a chemical solution because it's a big protein and we are basically uh, taking away part of this uh, of these challenges, which means that in the field, we can see a consistency with this product that is pretty pretty similar to what you would see with, uh, with chemicals. So do you see these protein-based products just simply replacing chemistry or complementing chemistry or being used perhaps in a different way? Will growers have to learn different production practices in order to, to get the same type of control that they may have enjoyed in the past with a, with a synthetic? So what we hope to deliver to the growers is a formulated protein-based biocontrol that will be used in the same environment and with the same parameters they are doing in their field today with, with chemicals, being able to bring them, tank mix them, put them out in the field and using them as with the easiness that they have with the, with the chemicals today. However, to, you, to the part of your question that you had, we are hoping to first bring these molecules to complement. If you bring a new mode of action, you want that to be able to complement first what is already existing there. And as the pressure from the regulation is also impacting more and more of these tools, hopefully we bet that we can replace a number of these uh, chemical sprays as well and get potentially in certain cases to a zero residue perspective by using only this type of molecules, not only the one that we have today, of course, but by having a number of these uh, biocontrol agents that we can use to bring the crop to a zero residue in terms of chemistry at the end as well. So that's 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 the overall ambition once we have been able to build the properly the, the, the pipeline moving forward. Fascinating. So we've talked about how uh, you're going to take over Europe. Let's talk about how you might take over other parts of the world. Uh, I know the American market, the US market must be very attractive, large, very diverse market with 
you know, obviously all types of crops you can possibly imagine from coast to coast and a lot of corn and soybeans and others in the middle. So what are your plans for, for entering the US market and how can a company based over here in Europe have an impact across the pond? It's difficult. It's difficult to have an impact if we stay here in Belgium. I'm glad to say that we have incorporated the company in the US in December. And the point was for us to have an entry point to be able to have a team over there and to uh, to build some knowledge in the US as well. We will either move our new offices in North Carolina or in California. The market for this type of product is going to be basically fruits and vegetables to start with, but then we hope to be able to move into raw crops as well. So it's going to be all over the place in the US and some other countries as well, like uh, Brazil, for example, or Chile, which is a big, big part of the uh, fruit and vegetable export into Europe as well. So there are a lot of opportunities there, but we, we are trying to go step by step. Our first product will certainly go to the market first in the US around 2022. And as we do that, we will we will go into different states, California being the most attractive, but from a regulatory perspective, might take a little bit more time to get us there. So we are we have already quite a number of partners and discussion with the US, with growers. Half of our trials were done in the US as well during the course of 2019. So we've got a lot of feedback already from, uh, from the people who have used the product and understanding how different it is from a microbial solution or from a chemical solution and willing to work together with us to explore more the, uh, the the potential of this product as we get closer to the uh-huh. commercialization. So exciting to hear that you're uh, looking at a US base of operation, but very curious. So when you look at East Coast, West Coast, and, and perhaps some places in the middle as well, what kind of criteria are you kind of thinking through and what kind of things might help you make a decision for one or the other? So first, it's the market. Uh, if we look only at the marketplace, of course, California representing 70% of the export market for the rest of the US, it would be the place to be, you would think. But we can be there without having a, without having an office, if it makes sense to have an office. We think then about the longer term for the organization, what capabilities are we going to need and where are the hubs that exist today in the US to be able to access these capabilities, supporting the, the further development of biotalis in the US. And if you look at that, then you have California, you have potentially Florida, you have North Carolina, and you have also uh, Massachusetts, for example, Boston, uh, the Boston region is, uh, is vibrant in terms of the biotech and some of the capabilities there. So that's wh- what we are looking at as well. And then you see from a, a marketing perspective as well, where do you need your team to be based? And do you need them to be in a specific location in one of these areas? Or do you need them to be spread across the US and across the Americas if you go if you go broader? So these are the, uh, the kind of criteria we are looking into. And it's very attractive. A couple of places, uh, as I say, are really attractive. And also, there are some governments in the uh, local governments that are basically uh, creating the right incentives mm-hmm. for companies like Biotelis to consider being either in North Carolina or in California from a tax and from an entry point. So it's it's also something that we are looking into. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there's a little bit of competition out there in the there world. There is, yes, absolutely. Finishing up and coming back closer to home, at least to your home, and I don't want to sound like I'm a... Uh, an official for the uh, for the local tourist board, but Ghent is a very special place. And as you said earlier, a lot of ambition and impact that has come out of inventions here. But maybe just finish up and, and telling us a little bit about the team here. This will obviously remain your, your home and your headquarters uh, now and in the future and, and tell the kind of people that uh, are working here and, and how they, they're looking to make an impact through working with this type of company. It's uh, it's an amazing place. So I've I've had the chance to come here before getting myself into uh, into this company. But 
Here with the VIB, you've got this incubator in which we are today, which is a fantastic opportunity for small companies like Biotalis to basically start up the, the business. We have access to the labs, we have access to the capabilities, we have the universities and the institutes that are just around at a walking distance. And we've got also the, the other companies like BSF, Bayer, we've got DevGen, the former DevGen now acquired by Syngenta that are on site as well. So a number of really important companies that are sitting around and that are helping us to get access to some key capabilities and also pulling towards agriculture. What is amazing in terms of the team as well is when we discussed about the mission of Biotelis in terms of uh, a more sustainable and safe food supply, when we discuss with the, the younger generation that are currently in Biotelis today, you can sense a willingness to participate into making an impact in agriculture like I have not sensed before. And that's also coming from their education that is that is now slightly differently oriented than our education, no disrespect for our age, Adrian, but our education at a, at a different time. You can sense the willingness to really engage and to be within this company to make a difference in terms of sustainability. And that's, that's what is amazing, is this engagement that we have from the people and willing to bring these products as rapidly as possible to the market. Can corner sometimes, because this is what startups are doing to, to get as fast as possible. But the amount of engagement and emotion behind the work is really incredible. So that's, that's how the team is working. And of course, we, we have, beyond this team, we also get the um, people that are coming from parent company that are using the same type of technologies. Ablinks, for example, who was- Which was a pharmaceutical, or is a pharmaceutical. Is a Company. pharmaceutical company, which has got a very similar platform geared toward anti-cancer agents. And we benefit from that as well, because we've got a lot of people that are joining us with the knowledge of what has been uh, developed in Ablinks or in other companies. And this hub is, is vibrant for these capabilities that are around and people willing to go in places where they can really see that they, they want to make a difference. And we've been very attractive over the course of 2019 to these different people that see how Biotelis can really make a difference. Uh, in the uh, in the, in the food and ag space, yeah, and I mean it's fantastic to hear. And, and personally, because I've spent a lot of time here as well, I've had that privilege. I've seen, you know, the people here that you describe, and and people may not realise there is actually a lot of connection between what goes on here at VIB and Ghent with North Carolina, where I'm resident. Uh, NC State has collaboration agreements with uh, with the VIB, and we have companies like BSF that have research sites which are mirrored both here in Ghent and also in research. Triangle Park in North Carolina. So there's an awful lot of connections. All we need is a direct flight and it will be a lot easier to travel between the two. But anyway, big thank you, Patrice. It's been really interesting uh, thank you. to hear what you've got to say about Beatalis and, and everything that you're doing here. And we wish you all the best in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. AgTech 360 is a product of North Carolina State University, SIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. This episode was produced by Kayla Pack-Watson with host Adrian Percy and Center Director Dr. Denatia Seth Carley. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AgTech360 and send us questions and comments to agtech360 at gmail.com. With AgTech360, we take a 360-degree view inside emerging agriculture technologies that matter. Thanks for listening.